This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Chris Bagnall is the founder and CEO of Transmission Agency. And if you are even remotely interested in how to grow the biggest, most respected global B2B marketing agency in the world, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. They are in the top five B2B only international agencies in the world. And just in case you were wondering, that list of five starts at above $25 million US. They've been either the first or second fastest growing B2B agency headquartered in the UK for the last four years in a row. They are the 42nd fastest growing business in the UK, according to the FT. And their goal is to become the biggest, most respected B2B comms group in the world in the next five years. To make matters worse, they've done all of this through organic growth. Absolutely no investors whatsoever. We discuss why you shouldn't name a business after yourself. Is the best model a full service agency or a specialist agency? How B2B marketing has evolved, their ambition, uh, and just so much more. Look, I'm not going to give this a big introduction. I'm just going to say, without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Chris Bragnall. Chris Bagnall is the founder and CEO of Transmission, the global customer-obsessed unified marketing agency for B2B businesses. He is responsible for making sure they provide market-leading services and deliver upon their company promises to their clients. Chris provides direction for the company, develops and empowers its employees, and maintains their service ethic throughout the company. He has grown Transmission into a 200-person Goliath and has plans to shake up the agency landscape and become the biggest, most respected B2B comms group in the world. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Chris Bagnall, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thank you, Nathan. Looking, looking forward to it. Really excited to, to speak to you. In 1997, you get your degree from Bournemouth University in Strategic Systems Management, Business IT and Marketing. And you say that the only thing that you were really interested in from the beginning was marketing. Why? Yeah, uh, well, I, I mean, I, I didn't even think about going to uni when I was young, and it was only literally in the last few weeks of college when uh, a lecturer said to me, "Maybe, maybe you should go to college." And uh, I was like, "Okay." So I went because I didn't really know too much about what else I wanted to do, and enrolled on this new course. So essentially, it was business studies, but with loads of IT and finance and accountancy and. Um, I just wasn't interested in much of it at all, but there was this module on marketing. I was like, "Hey, that that that's interesting. You know, that, hmm. that's that's something I could potentially see myself doing." And and so that's that's what I focused on. And you know, did a year out in marketing before going back to college, graduating, and then the only thing I ever wanted to do after that was was work in marketing. You moved to London in 2000 around the dot com boom, and, and you got a job with cable and wireless, which later became Virgin Media. How did that experience shape your early career in the way that you thought about B two B marketing more generally? Yeah, so so I went I went on to work for the B two B side of of cable and wireless, and I ended up being responsible for their advertising and sponsorship, which which for me at the time was probably the most exciting part of of marketing within that business. Um, but in the run up to that, I worked for a couple of companies, and I was getting involved in lots and lots of different aspects from copywriting to web design, sales, demand gen, direct marketing, 
um, the early parts of digital, I guess, back then. And it gave me sort of really good grounding in, in B2B marketing, which which ultimately has put me in good stead and I use today. Mm, I'd say. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about DWA because you, you joined DWA, a media agency, in 2001. They were a pretty small agency at the time, only five people. You ended up staying for 12 years. You ultimately became managing director uh, of their EMEA operations, and you grew from one to seven offices to 150 people and 100 million, 180 million, sorry, turnover. What's a, what's 80 million here or there? Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty successful first stab at running your own agency uh, or, or running an agency, sorry. You must have thought this agency stuff was easy. Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. And um yeah, there's there's a bunch of reasons why it was successful, uh, not least to which the people. But I, th- I think we we were really early to respond to a lot of the advancements in the market at the time. So things like digital demand gen uh, were on the up, search, social, you know, the need to globalize, and why clients were looking for for that kind of thing in agencies and the benefits it brings. You know, we were, we won some great clients that allowed us to grow. Over the time, we employed some some great people, some of which now actually work with me at uh, a transmission again. So it's a big roller coaster journey, and and I learned a lot from it. So, what are the main takeaways from that experience that you're now using to grow transmission today? How have those influences sort of shaped the way that you now think about the business today? Yeah. So, yeah, positive and negative ones. I mean, I guess. <laughs> Not to be flippant, but why, why you shouldn't name a business after yourself? You know, this hmm. it's not the not the nineteen fifties Mad Men era. Um, sure. It's just just not done nowadays. I think you know, agency owners and most businesses realize it's about it's about the people. You know, it's about, not about an individual. It's not about the the owners or big egos or um, you know small leadership teams. It's about empowering people to succeed. You know, we're we're in a people business at the end of the day, and you've got to got to command and earn respect not not demand it treat everyone with professional courtesy allow them to shine and and everyone you know sharing the successes of the business so i, I learned a lot from mm. how not to run a business and and tried to do a lot of the opposite in in creating um my own business and so you know in that sense the sort of negative experiences have been turned into a positive so so what else did you take away from that experience running DWA? I mean, you know, aside from the fact that you grew from five to 150 people pretty, pretty quickly, that growth mirrors the growth of transmission, which we'll talk about a little bit le- um, later. But everything from, you know, sort of going from knowing everyone's name in the office to knowing, I guess, fewer, fewer people's names and being more further removed from the day-to-day operations yeah. of, of the business – Talk a little bit about what you took away from scaling a team quickly while making sure that the culture is still m- maintained to deliver excellent work for your clients. Yeah, I mean, c- c- culture is it's a, it's a huge, huge thing for me. And, um, you know, the bigger you get, the more geographically spread you are. It's, you know, it's difficult. And let's face it, you know, something like COVID hasn't, hasn't helped in, in any way, shape or form. Uh, but it's something mm. something I take extremely seriously. Uh, I try and instill a, a very sort of positive, rewarding and open culture in the business. I'm, I'm a pretty approachable guy. You know, some people feel that the, the business is 
a little bit like like a family, and that that's good. You know, it's nice. You know, myself and my wife are, are, are very involved. People see it. People see us day to day. Um, I share a lot with people in the company, so they can see, you know, what what's going on on a, on a regular basis, good and bad. Mostly, mostly good, thankfully. <laughs> you know, I share financials. I share the sort of um, the fruits of the labour, and and try and try and make people feel quite rightly as as part of uh, the journey that we're going on. So it's it's massive, and I think businesses that don't take that seriously, you can really see it in the you know the retention of mm. of people and you know their motivation that's aligned with it you you made a lot of connections at at dwa who would later on go on to become senior leaders in their own right with large b2b brands talk a little bit about sort of you know how that how those relationships helped grow dwa but also later on helped the growth of transmission yeah, so I mean, I was I was very very hands-on client side when I was at DWA. So um, you know, I, I got to be at the cold face, so to speak. You know, a lot of a lot of my clients in throughout that period, uh, you know, some of some of clients now in, in new business, and you know, as their careers have progressed. Um, they've got more senior in their businesses or other businesses. You know, I've 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 remained in contact with with a number of them and. Yeah, that was really, really, really important, certainly in the early days and still is um, to transmission success. You know, if you do a good job for someone, regardless of, of how small that job is, you know, we had a, a little bit of a culture of never really saying no to to new business unless it was you know, wholly unprofitable. And so, you, you know, we, we had a lot of clients and we did a lot of really good work with those clients and that, that stuff stays with you you know people mm-hmm. people remember that people remember you going above and beyond and the personal side of things and you know i, I never wanted to to build an agency where you kind of go yeah we don't get out of bed for less than x you know i think sure. that you're in a niche it's a big niche mm-hmm. but um you know what goes around comes around people remember that they won't come back Really interesting. At, at some point, you decided to set up your own shop, and in 2013, you set up Pulse. What what factors led to that decision? Yeah, so um, I guess two things really: one one personal and and one professional. The, the person the personal side was I literally I couldn't stand my boss anymore. So <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd come we'd come to the end of the road, so to speak, and. Um, some people will know him and, and understand that in, entirely, but I guess professionally, I, I knew that there was a there was a better business model. And working for a media-only agency, I was really frustrated that the 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 answer to every question was buy some buy some advertising, <laughs> which <laughs> which uh, now running a full service agency is is, is quite ironic. Hmm. Um, you know, thing, things like um, you know, seven years ago, content marketing. Uh, was relatively well, becoming mainstream. Inbound marketing was becoming mainstream. Huge, mm. uh, yeah. And I saw I saw a lot of a lot of marketing agencies that had really poor media buying, or, or in some cases non-existent. And in many cases, my old agency was was the partner that did it for them. Um, mm. And also, you know, the B two B agency industry at the time was served by mainly creative agencies that were only focused in a few areas. So. You know, there, there was the gap for me. It was like you know a really smart, broader service agency that understood media at the core and 
not just media, but activation and delivery. Um, and, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, I guess. And, you know, we see a lot of sort of copycat organizations now trying to do similar things. Hmm. At some point in that journey of, of Pulse, I approach you for a job and you turn me down. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, Imagine where you would be today. <laughs> Imagine, maybe not answer. That. Yeah, no, no, no. If it makes you feel any better, we don't. We actually didn't hire that role in the end. We we kind of, okay. ran, you know, we, it was a new biz role, and we were just like, right. you know what, you know what, we're just going to do it ourselves. It's, it's such a big thing, you know, as a growth Huge. agency to go. Hey, let's let's effectively not outsource, but let's bring in someone to do our new business when hmm. you know you've got probably more connections than than they do. Well, yeah, don't. I thought you'd bring it up. Don't take it personally. Yeah, well, I, I, as you say, as you can see, I've gotten over it after all these years. I'm no longer bitter. Um, let's talk a little bit about Transmission. Transmission is a 200 person data driven B2B marketing agency that believes in customer obsession. You put your customers and clients at the center of everything, continually testing and enhancing because life should be, in your words, a series of amazing experiences, not simply a destination. Experiences planned with insight, intelligence at the heart. What problems do your clients typically have and how do you help solve them? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, most clients need us to help drive you know, new business, more business. And they'll, they'll normally need some sort of support around how to do that. Yes, okay, you know, they might have a specific need to find an agency that does this or that does that. But ultimately, their goal is usually sourcing business, progressing that business through through the pipe, through the funnel, and uh, and help with closing it. So, um, you know, we're a full service agency, and so sometimes we'll plug into a framework of work, or sometimes we'll plug into a framework of agencies, all, all driving in in the direction of that objective. But when it gets really interesting, is where we become the lead agency, or certainly the dominant agency, providing things like strategic consultancy and then the creation and then the delivery end to end. And that's particularly the case when it comes to helping businesses with things like account-based marketing, as an example, you know, mm. to, do it, to do it properly, you have to have a view of the whole picture and to be successful, you need to put that customer at the center of everything you do, you know, gather all the engagement data on the entire customer journey across all channels, all departments, all your CRM systems and, and, and all your salespeople. So, you know, that that's that's for us where we come into our own. You know, and that's that's the reason why we, you know, are fully full service, fully integrated, unified as we called it, or call it, um, and and globally in nature. And that that's the model that we're we're gonna double down on. It's really interesting that you're a full service agency because that model has been touted by a lot of consultants and a lot of experts as the model that agencies shouldn't pursue. They should, you know, the rhetoric for a long time has been, you know, focus on a niche, uh, specialize. So contrary to popular belief, you, you know, you say that the future is not, a sing, is, is, is not a single service agency. Going for niche specialisms is not a winning formula today. And that's really, as I said, the opposite of what most agencies are, are, are told. Discuss. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it goes around to the point around putting the customer at front and center of everything you do, you know, understanding them, understanding every engagement you have with or they have with your brand and your people, regardless of the channel. And, and to do that properly, you have to have those connected systems and the data 
that you learn from all the time. You know, disparate agencies or siloed marketing teams or regions for that matter that don't connect or share that data together just just makes the job of doing it almost impossible. You know, and add to the fact that, you know, agencies, you know, traditionally don't play or multiple agencies don't necessarily, even within the same group, don't necessarily play nicely together the vast majority of time. Hmm. Or they'll be at odds to what the strategy is and how they, uh, or their role in achieving the success. So for me, it's about being a specialist at just about everything that's relevant to helping achieve that goal and being unified with that strategy, the delivery and the data. I mean, it's not, it's not to say that singular service agencies can't be successful. I mean, there are thousands sure. of agencies that would prove that theory wrong, but reality is clients cannot manage more and more agencies more of the time. You know, procurement departments are not saying, hey, we need to double or triple the, the number of agencies we've got. No. They're, you know, they're rationalizing agency rosters, not, not creating more. And then I guess the final point is, there are, there are very few new channels or should I say major transformational methodologies, say like with the advent of digital that just shook up the entire industry or social, for instance, or with you know methodology like ABM. There are mm. very few things that are um, coming through that we see that are vastly different where you can say, hey, we can create specialism in that thing alone. Because most 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 platforms, channels, methodologies, they've they've already been invented and and created. It's about tweaking them and evolving how you use them with some smart thinking in a different way to solve a problem in a different way for me. Hmm. Really fascinating. So so when you unjustly rejected me for a job, you were <laughs> roughly around 30 or 40 people in 2016, 2017, around that sort of time. Now you're close to 200 people. That's some pretty rapid growth over the last sort of three or four years or so. How do you make sure that the wheels don't fall off when you're growing that quickly and you maintain the culture um, and your closeness to not only your clients, but your employees and, the, and your team. Yeah. Yeah, look, we, we had to grow up fast. You know, we, we, we had to make some, some very good hires in, in, the, in the right areas that we were weak. Uh, we needed more process. We needed more financial rigor. It's just inevitable. You know, creating the framework for success, you know, trusting people to deliver, monitor as much as you can and make sure we don't lose sight of the fact that we're constantly at the um, the behest of our clients being reviewed continuously for performance. So, you know, the wheels definitely have come off at certain <laughs> points. Um, and it, but it's, it's about understanding. You had a spare. Yeah, well, you you had having a spare. The, exactly. Having the visibility of, um, of what's happening across the board, putting mm. those checks and balances in place and being able to react quickly to do something rather than let it fester or become a bigger problem without necessarily realizing we've definitely been guilty of that in the past, not necessarily having um, full visibility across everything. And that, you know, that's, that's growing pains, right? You know, any, any business mm. owner will say very similar things and will have very similar problems regardless of, of the industry. What were some of the major pinch points and milestones over that growth? You know, let's talk about 2016, 2017, just sort of where we are today. 
how many employees were you roughly around that sort of time? And, and what were the major milestones or stumbling blocks that you had to overcome to uh, sort of get to where you are today? Um, so, I mean, there, there were different pinch points at different periods of time. Um, you know, where any any business owner will be will be making some some calculated risks and bets based on what they see in front of them, and obviously the grand plan and the the the, the goal of of where they want to get. Um, we weren't lucky enough to have a tremendous amount of uh, investment, so everything's been organic. So we, we we can move as fast as the business allows us to move, but we've. Mm. We've we've taken very calculated bets in you know moving into different offices or territories or new services or hiring certain people at certain times, almost when we have a really good confidence that the business need is there, um, and in some cases knowing that a client will back it and support it, which is which is a really good place to be, <laughs> um, and so you know it it is a little bit like a game of chess and. You could move in a hundred different directions, and you know sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But you know, thankfully for us, uh, you know, the vast majority of time we've we've made the right bets in the right places, and and it's been good for us and worked out for the better. Give us an idea of the the growth over the last six years or so. Just just high level numbers from 2013, 14, 15, 16 yeah. to today. I mean, people, clients, revenue, locations, etc. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather not give you individual revenue growth, but I think in terms it's of... Just, uh, it's just me and you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one else listening. It's just... Okay. Uh, in, in ter- I guess in terms of a benchmark, we're we're now we're now in the top five B2B-only international agencies in the world. And that, that list, that top five list starts at 25 million US in, in revenues. So, you know, we're, we're, we're above that. We've been either the first or second fastest growing... UK HQ'd B2B agency for around four years in a row now. Wow. Uh, we'll probably double. In fact, I'm pretty sure we'll double again in size this year. And ad- other things we're pretty proud of. So we, um, <clears throat> last year we were um, in the Sunday Times fast track list. We were 42nd. So 42nd fastest growing UK business. Um, hmm. And we were, wow. we were 63rd on the FT top 1000 growing European businesses list. So, you know, we, we, we grew a lot last year and we'll, we'll continue to grow again this year. People wise, we, we moved into our UK office, um, that we're in now about three and a half years ago with 25 people. And, and now globally we're, we're pushing 200, as you say, we'll, we'll be way past that by the end of the year. Amazing. Um, locations we're, we're in London, San Francisco, Munich, Sydney, Singapore, uh, Delhi's just opened a couple of months back, and you'll you'll see a few announcements from us over the next probably four or five months around other new offices. And then I guess just finally on the clients, it's it's not so much around the volume of clients that we've added or continue to add year on year. Of course, that's gone up as as the business has grown, but it's for for me, it's more about how much more we're doing for them in different geographies and in different service areas. So, you know, that, that's, that's our strategy. You know, of course, we want to win new, new clients, but 
you know, your, your lower hanging fruit, so to speak, same with any business, I guess, is the clients you currently work with and do some things for and, and want to do other things for and sometimes different places. And there's already, already that trust there. It's far easier to do more with existing clients than win a new one. So let's talk a little bit about your ambition because the ambition of the next five years, as I understand it, is to become the biggest, most respected B2B comms group in the world. And that means you're going up against the likes of Ogilvy, Gyro, uh, now part of Density Wages Network, um, Accenture, I would imagine, uh, who have made, those guys have made, uh, obviously, strategic acquisitions, you know, to get into the pocket of the CMO at board level. That's some stiff competition. There's no real template, really, because all those three agencies had very different routes to becoming who they are today. How will you guys do it? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to give the game away in terms of exactly I mean, how we'll do it. It's not a very good interview, Chris. <laughs> People want to know. Yeah, just a little, little bit sharing too much. But <laughs> um, but clear, clearly our sell against all three of those competitors is different. You know, they all, they all have their own challenges, many of which actually come from having competing interests internally within their groups. The reality of working with any of those organizations is never the same as their promise and you know, clients working with them and people working within them will, will very much know that. So we, we want to become the, the gold standard in B2B, the most respected B2B marketing agency in the land. And clearly, we, we can't rival the scale of the likes of an Accenture, Inter- Accenture Interactive. But I mean, let's face it, the majority of their revenues come from consumer and they come from, you know, their traditional tech and systems integration part of their business, not end-to-end B2B marketing services. Although, you know, they're definitely taking that area much more seriously now with advancements and, and acquisitions. So we've got, to, we've got a plan on how we'll grow and what we need and where we need to be geographically. And I think probably most importantly, a, a, a deep knowledge of what the market needs in terms of a service offering that's that's going to allow us to compete and reach those lofty goals. So how do you know when you'll become the most respected? Because that's, how do you make sure that that becomes less of a squishy metric and more of a sort of empirical metric? What are you using to gauge the success of becoming the most respected B2B comms agency in the world? I, th- I think it's, it's, a, it's about reputation. It's about client retention. It's about staff retention. It's about the, the buzz in the industry. It's about how people refer to you. It's about the referrals that you get from existing clients to new clients. It's it's all of the the above. You know, if you want to, um, you know, you, if it's probably you know, 30 years ago as an example, maybe 20 years ago, you know, that the gold standard was 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 a Saatchi, you know, in the, in the consumer agency world, sure. and you know, people, if you work with Saatchi, like, wow, you work with Saatchi, you mm-hmm. know, if you can if you can get to that kind of level in B two B successfully, and have you know, bring on more clients than you lose, and retain business, and continue to grow it, and be respected in the industry, and people want to work with you and for you and with you. Then, then I think you know those are the sort of metrics. It's not about NPS scores, and you know, uh, yeah, we could be a bit more scientific in how we measure it, but it, it's more around the, the whole, the whole picture of what is the the reputation of that business in the industry everywhere. Mm. And and what do you think are the factors that are going to enable 
that success to enable you to achieve those ambitions? Um, so there's lots of different things. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't want to be specific on too many things and get, sure. give the game away, but it, it is it is about having um, an evolved offering that is relevant in the marketplace for that particular time. It's kind of continuously stargazing as to where you need to be, mm. uh, taking a temperature of the market and predicting the sorts of things that you need to be doing as an agency. Uh, it's definitely about looking at our existing clients and how do we become more sticky? How do we secure their business longer than you know a contract period? Um, it's about massively doubling down on our service offering. It's about being more efficient. It's about being more agile. Um, it's about being cost efficient um, in areas so you, you remain competitive in the marketplace and someone's not going to come and you know, just underprice you. So it, it's it's all of the above, and you know we're 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 a little bit of the way through our journey. There is a long way to go. We've got a plan on how we're going to get there, and you know there's parts of our business that we we massively need to ramp up, and some areas that we we know we could acquire skills. Um, and so you know that's what we're looking at now is is all of the above and. You know, it's been similar to what we've been doing, particularly over the last couple of years, but just on steroids, I guess. Mm. Now, the CEO always gets the praise for uh, the business's success, and I'm sure that you like to take as much uh, of the praise as, as, as you can, but I'm sure that you've got a fantastic leadership team behind you that are enabling you to achieve the growth objectives that you set for yourself. I think uh, Bill Gates said recently that if the wrong eight people left Microsoft, then you know, Microsoft would almost cease to exist, which I thought was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what the strength of your leadership team looks like and, and how have you made sure that you've built it in order to help you achieve the ambitions that you've set for yourself? Yeah, I mean, we, we did it relatively earlier on uh, in the business or early on in the business and we, we continue to add to it. And of course, there are, there are younger people and more junior people that are coming up and stepping up into that as well. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of relatively large leadership teams, you know, empowering people to do what their uh, aspirations want them to do. And frankly, they're paid to do. Um, so we have um, a good number of extremely capable people that, you know, some of which have been people that I've known throughout my career been lucky enough to bring them on board. Um, others uh, I've worked with uh, historically. Um, others I've just kind of scoured the market and gone, we really need that person. You know, they're going to mm -hmm. give us that to the business that we don't necessarily have. And that is, that is frankly, that's just, just a continuous journey. That is, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we find, entice and keep the best people in different areas? Um, that's that's my job. You know, that is a lot, mm. a big part of my job nowadays. It's is about recognizing where those areas are. Um, it's not it's not only down to me. Um, the individual geo leaders that we have, 
outside of the UK. I'm based in the UK, but I'm global CEO. Um, you know, they're empowered to, to, to do what's needed for their, their regions and they get a lot of uh, empowerment to, to do that. And to an extent, the buck stops with them. Mm. So, you know, I, I'm not going to control everything, but, you know, you control the direction, but you don't control all, all different aspects. Let's talk a little bit about business development and, and new business. I would assume that in order for you to reach the ambitions that you've set, you'd need to win one or two more new clients. How, how do you think about business development? Outbound, inbound, based on the strength of the brand, something else? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a combination. Um, most agencies would probably say the same. I mean, in the, in, the, in the early years, it was, you know, we didn't have a rep. Nobody knew who we were, um, but I had a good good black book of contacts uh, I could talk to. Um, thankfully, over the years, it becomes much more around or much more about uh, inbound you know, relationships as well that you have not just historical ones, but new ones uh, in, the, in the new business. Uh, they might go somewhere else or, you know, get a, a leg up their ladder and become more important in their organization. You're definitely referrals, partnerships, definitely reputation. I think you have to have it all. Mm. We're, we're lucky enough now that as we're established, there is definitely more inbound coming on. You know, we're definitely getting more inbound inquiries, um, you know, people that don't know us, you know, through th- things like, you know, the award wins or just people talking to other people and say, hey, these guys are doing some really mm. good work for me. That's that's the best source of, mm. of business, you know, someone that we work with that's talking to someone else and going, hey, you should really give these guys a call. Mm. You know, that's, that's, that feels so good when that happens rather than, you know, the outbound approach of, sure. do you want some of this? Do you want some of this? Do you want some of this? It's, uh, <laughs> um, you've, you've done it. So it can be a thankless task. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It can be. So, so just in terms of your role as um, CEO, I mean, what are you, I mean, you said that you've, a lot of your time is spent on building the team and make sure, making sure that you've got the right talent to take you on the journey to, to, to where you need to be now. Talk a little bit about what, the rest of your day looks like what does a typical day look like for you and 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 how do you structure your role yeah it's it's never the same of course um i have my direct reports quite a lot of them uh talk to all of the time and you know we're constantly talking about the day-to-day running of the business um and that that will continue um i spend a good amount of my time running through financials and commercial reviews and forecasting and you know probably should have listened a bit more in my uni degree around those aspects (laughs) (laughs) would have helped me yeah (laughs) or just wasn't interested in that back back 20 odd years ago um and you know definitely spend a a good amount of my time on both sales and marketing Not, not 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 necessarily um you know using my network as much as i used to but you know, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to focus? Who are we going to go after? How are we going to do it through our sales and marketing? And, you know, we have a sales leadership team that spends a good amount of time trying to focus our attention in the in the right areas, just like we do with our clients. You know, who do you want to work with? Who, who do you think you'll be successful with? Um, but uh, I definitely spend more of my time nowadays on the what's next bit, uh, which um, for me needs to be, 
needs to be the focus. Hmm. So talk a little bit about client management when it comes to those big global multi multinational businesses, you're, you're working with often large teams of, of um, not only decision makers, but, but stakeholders. And there are a number of people maybe in different regions, different parts of, of the world and different sort of business units that are involved in making the project a, a success. One of the concerns that I've, that I've heard recently from a client of mine was, you know, working with a big multinational, it's great having, having the name, but when there are 10, 12 people coming back to you with inputs um, on a project or a campaign, uh, it can be really difficult to really make sure that you are satisfying all of the stakeholders' requirements and making sure, especially in the early days as, as you've won them, it's very difficult to make sure that everyone is happy. How do you make sure that you are satisfying your clients, uh, you're servicing your clients properly when there are a number of, uh, you know, people or stakeholders on the client side that all have a, a vested interest in the in the stake or the outcome of the project. Yeah, I mean that's that's the key, right? I mean, <clears throat> I think um, with some of those bigger bigger clients and executions, the the onboarding process is so important. It is about setting the expectations up front, the reporting lines, the briefing structure, uh, the client services function uh, in terms of communication, the frequency of that, the format of it, all, all of those things. You know, I've, I've seen quite a lot of stuff in the news recently around, you know, what is the role of account management? And you know, people are diminishing it in, in a massive way. The reality is that they own the client relationship and it's their job to funnel, you know, the the inner workings that are sometimes quite yeah, quite mad within the agency mm. and make it look seamless on the surface to the client. <laughs> you know, and every, every agency will go through that. And, you know, sometimes there's a lot of um, heartache and blood and sweat that happens behind the scenes very often, but, you know, the client doesn't care. And clients just wanted to see delivery of work that they're paying for. So, um, you know, that client services function for me is that is absolutely key. We've spent a lot of time upskilling our client services and making sure they can talk about every single thing that we do as a business in intricate detail. You know, it's not good enough they, that they come on board um, and can only really talk about two or three aspects of our business. They need to be across every single thing that we do. So they're, they're, they're the guys and girls internally that are distributing that information, sharing, communicating, making sure it's seamless, making sure the client is happy. Um, that's not to say that we won't have, you know, creative directors and content managers and copywriters and other people and media professionals talking to the client, but the client sometimes doesn't to your point, doesn't necessarily want that. Hmm. They have enough to do. So it's about creating that sort of one throat to choke experience <laughs> as much as possible and understanding, frankly, what they want and how they want it. And frankly, altering your service offering and ethic to, to suit the way that the client needs it. You know, you can't go in and say, this is how we run our business like your lump it. You'll be out within a heartbeat. Sure. <laughs> 
Really fascinating. Um, final question, Chris, before we get into our, our favorite questions towards the end of the interview. Let's talk a little bit about B2B marketing, something quite close to your heart from the early days. Um, with events and, and face-to-face meetings all, all cancelled, and the thing that sort of a lot of large brands used to sort of really rely on, sort of their big annual events, no one is, is doing that these days. Um, all of that activity is now moving more and more online. But is it as simple as just hosting webinars and embedding video into your websites? Um, how are the best B2B brands winning at this time when we can't gather in annual events and conferences and we can't meet up face-to-face? Yeah. I mean, they're taking a good look at what their customers look like you know, and, and, and who they want to work with but in, in absolute intricate detail and being really, really focused. So, you know, we, we have a, a term we use quite a lot in our business, which is um, customer obsession, being customer obsessed. So we, we are, we make our clients custom, customer obsessed for their customers. And when I say customers, I also mean prospects. So it's about understanding as much as you possibly can about who you could sell to, should sell to, what they want, when, where, and how, and then tailoring as much as possible that customer journey experience end-to-end across everything that you do as a business. And those are the businesses that are going to be winning. You know, businesses that are not taking a good look at um, those kind of aspects and having taken a bit of a scattergun approach to their entire business, their own marketing are going to be really struggling. And that was definitely the case 10, 15 years ago when, you know, the emergence of you know, funnel marketing and demand gen came about. It was about putting more into the top of the funnel and hoping mm. to pop out the bottom. You just cannot get away with doing that nowadays. Really fascinating. So, so talk a little bit about how B2B marketing has evolved, because as you say, about seven or eight years ago, HubSpot, marketing automation, content marketing was all the rage um you know brent adamson and uh even uh doug kessler from from velocity partners have really talked about content marketing not being being table stakes now it's just you know it's the stuff that you just have to do but content by itself doesn't create any meaningful differentiation anymore it's not the thing that allows you to win how have we evolved from those early days of content marketing and, and thought leadership? Is it still a differentiator for leading B2B technology brands? And sort of where are we today? Yeah, um, I think it can it can be a leading differentiator, but um, I mean, the, the sort of earlier principles of content marketing have kind of morphed into a much broader set of um, principles and methodologies um for, for, for me it is it's about um it's about it's about the customer it's about understanding their needs more quite frankly um you know you you have to have the the digital and the analytics capabilities running right the way throughout the entire organization in a connected unified manner because you need to use that data to evolve how you go to market. You know, it's, it's essentially you're you're digitally transforming your business and aligning that with the business transformation strategy. So I don't think it is a, is about 
saying, you know, is, is content marketing relevant or less relevant or prominent nowadays? It is about you apply methodologies, channels, and thinking to where your customers are and the mm. information that you understand about them. Mm. And those those technologies that allow you to understand that in intricate detail nowadays should drive your strategy because you you know it's the right thing to do rather than saying, you know, a lot of organizations before they would go, here's our content department, here's our digital sure. department, here's our field marketing, sure. here's our channel marketing. None of them talk to each other, really. They all had their own budgets. They didn't connect the data together. And so you, know, you look at that from a customer experience perspective. They're seeing mixed messages sometimes. Sometimes they'd be integrated, sometimes they wouldn't. Hmm. Saying different things, pushing different things. None of the data would talk to each other. So the same customer would get five different emails from different divisions within the same organization. You just cannot get away with doing that nowadays. That is hmm. just really, really bad marketing that isn't taking into consideration what has gone before. And so it needs to be about tailoring and 100% about personalization, whether or not that's to the company or to the individual specifically, based mm. on what you know about them already and what they care about. Really fascinating. Uh, Chris, I could talk to, you, talk to you all day, but we're running out of time. Let's get into everyone's favorite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'm really excited to ask you some of them as well. Uh, almost about you know the man behind the brand sort of, sort of questions. Um, Start with a nice, easy one. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Um, <laughs> so we we used to be called Pulse uh, when we first started. Mm. Um, and two and a half years ago, we rebranded as, as Transmission, um, which for me at the time was was like renaming my firstborn child. <laughs> um, but, but the reason we failed is because when I, when I first set up the business, I, I didn't think about A, if people could find us on Google and B, whether or not I needed to trademark the company. Uh, so right. um, yeah, very, very shortly into <laughs> our launch of our second office, uh, we got a phone call or a letter actually one day from um, a trademark owner of, of the Pulse name Oops. from a German business called Pulse Advertising, which was actually sure. a consumer social influencer agency, ironically, so not really like us Very at all. different. Right. Saying, uh, you need to drop the trademark or we'll sue you. And so um, I didn't make that same mistake twice. We rebranded and I own the transmission trademark everywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> Great answer. Uh, tell us about some of your early mentors. Who influenced the way that you think about marketing the way you think about b2b comms and the way you think about growing agencies uh it's, it's actually one of my one of my first bosses um a guy called neil mcgee it, it was it wasn't so much his approach to marketing it was more of his approach to business and frankly his character um so it was one of my first jobs in marketing and i thought you know, as a sort of early 20 something just uh, i thought i needed to be like uber serious all the time, you know, collar suit and tie in those days, you know, cracks, no chinks, serious. And he just wasn't, you know, he's a real good blend of um, personable and professional when needed. And it taught, it taught me a massive lesson mm. there in how to get on in business through being the person you are and not necessarily 
person people expect you to be or trying to at worst pretend to be someone else mm. and that's that's kind of stayed with me ever since really interesting tell us about some of your favorite books what do you read for personal development professional development what books have helped your the way that you think about marketing today yeah yeah i'm not a massive marketing book reader mm. I'm, I'm more sort of interested in people and understanding what what makes you tick so you know give me give me a sapiens or a homo deus okay you know, yeah just, just absolutely fascinating but the, the one i'm reading right now yeah amazing right Brilliant. <laughs> the, one, the one i'm reading right now if you haven't read it is uh, the age of surveillance capitalism which is is absolutely mind-boggling so it's, it's about basically how the the big four or five you know the google apples and facebook's of this world are mm. essentially mining your mind for data to manipulate for the purposes of capital gain and it is you know i i when all of the gdpr regulations and data protection came out you know what a couple of years back now i was a little bit dismissive of mm. some of it you know even though i run a marketing agency but mm -hmm. you read this Absolutely. book and you're like yeah. wow that is what's happening with my data Jeez. <laughs> really? So what is happening with our data? And and should we really be concerned? Because from my point of view, this is my own personal opinion, you know, I'm happy to give my data to Amazon, Google and Facebook as long as I get a better experience and improved. So that's, know, that's, that's the flip side products. argument, right? And that that's what they rely on. And in, in my ignorance in our industry no 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 it's it's you know we all we all want better tailored personalized experiences and you know that that's what some of this enables these businesses to do and a lot of our marketing profession is built on the fundamentals of that but i think in, in our industry you also need to understand the flip side of that in terms of how these businesses have manipulated um behavior based on on what they they gain from from frankly your browsing behavior and, and buying behavior give us and an think, example um i think, if one you can think that's, of one that's relevant so um i mean it's not it's not so much an example but there's this whole i guess luminati in 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 america with, mm. with these organizations around libertarianism and you know lack of freedom of speech and um, entrepreneurialism and at any and all cost to anybody in the world in, including governments you know there is there's it's not surprising right now um being what august 2020 that we're talking about or should i say trump in america <laughs> is talking about um you know tiktok needing to sell because the sure. the ability for them to mind map behaviors of individuals is is quite scary interesting so I, th I think it's it's it it should be mandatory reading in our yeah. industry to just understand the other side of of what it all means okay i've just one clicked purchased thank you <laughs> from amazon giving them more of my data um uh, give us give us one more what else has been good that you've read uh well i, I mean i I finished Homo Deus before I, I moved on to this book and okay. I just I yeah. just find it fascinating. I mean it there's, is. there's so much stuff in there that I just like wow, I did not yeah. know, know that and I 
I, I'm sort of aware of various things, but I'm just like, oh, oh my word, that is that, mm. that's so obvious when you think about it, and the way they break it down and and explain um, it in written word is just just fascinating. You know, I'm, I'm, mm. I'm back trying to un- understand the human psyche a bit more. Mm. I'd far rather read that than a than a fiction novel. Yeah, me too. Um, Amazon Prime on on Netflix. What are you watching or streaming these days? That's good. I I definitely can't choose between. I'm I'm a, I flick between. Yeah, me too. Each of them. Yeah. Um, uh, Vikings. Uh, Is it still good? Do you, have you? I've just finished? just finished the last season or whatever whatever that was 70 yeah. or something like that and yeah look it can get a bit samey yeah but um i think the production value is Brilliant. so good yeah narcos love that yeah don't mind the subtitle uh <laughs> man in high castle that is okay for me it's just wow that that could have been great thought experiment isn't it yeah Brilliant. And uh, and I, I I guess being in this industry I can't not say Mad Men, but I got a bit bored in the last couple of seasons. <laughs> yeah, 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 you, me too. What do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? Um I'm I'm in the gym most days. Um I take my physical health you know quite a quite a bit more seriously than perhaps I used to. I'm I'm lucky enough to have a gym at home, so you know, I'm in there most days. Um mm. Uh, come rain, come come shine. Mentally, I'm not as good as I should be, so I, you know, I find it quite hard to turn off. Hmm. Uh, I know I need to calm my mind and do things. You know, I think I downloaded Headspace, the app, two years ago, and I'm still hmm. yet to use it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I concentrate more on my body than my mind, knowing that I'm probably doing it the wrong way yeah. around. And, but there's and a connection. <laughs> there is a connection. Like I'm sure working out does help the mind and, and vice versa, right? Yeah, it um, definitely does. It, I mean, you've got to do at least meditation. one, right? Yeah, 100%. In, in the last three to five years, what ideas, behaviors, or habits have you added or removed from your life that have improved your outcomes? Um, so behaviors, yeah. Um, uh, I guess at my age, you know, stag dues have been, been replaced by golf weekends. <laughs> <laughs> so st- still, still drunken behaviour, but on, in, in a different scale. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm always looking at how I can add new experiences, keeping my brain interested in doing new things, and that could be, you know, visiting a, a place or a new country or trying a new restaurant. I hate going back to the same place when we mm. go on holiday. You know, getting getting the kids out skiing, trying to make them have a good experience and take themselves out of their comfort zone. Um, just just keeping things interesting and exciting keeps me interested in and excited. I, I really hate the monotony of sameness. I need I need to keep pushing it. Mm. Final couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a young person or millennial who comes to you and says that they want to start their career in a global marketing agency? Um, knuckle down, you know, knuckle down, keep your head down, so to speak, not physically, metaphorically. You know, <laughs> show others what you can do. Make sure you're in a, 
and a place and in an environment where your work gets noticed and I guess appreciated more importantly. Um, if you have those, if you have that environment, the progression will come, but you, you know, you have to be in that environment where it gets noticed and appreciated and you can progress, you know, otherwise it's a bit of a thankless task, you know, don't be used. You know, there's a lot of people coming into this industry, particularly being used as interns that, mm. um, and I think this will continue by the way, once, you know, we come out of furlough schemes mm. and, you know, we see mass redundancies, you know, don't please, I pray young people don't get used to, to do work. They need to, to be appreciated, noticed mm. and progress. Otherwise it's going to kill a whole generation's mm. ability to progress. Great answer. And, and my final question, Chris, what do you know about growing a global B2B marketing agency today that you wish you knew at the very beginning of your career? Uh, trademark your company name. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Good yeah. way to win, right? I'll yeah, never, yeah. never make that same mistake. <laughs> Brilliant. Chris, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, yeah, you're welcome, Nathan. Really, really good talking to you. We have been speaking with Chris Bragnall. He is currently the founder and CEO of Transmission. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 93 conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in sales and marketing. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Magecki is our booker slash project manager. Marion Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. And we're done.